Welcome to the first inaugural episode of Higher Learning. My name is Will Reed. I am the CEO and co-founder of Canna Planners. We are a Burlington-based uh, creative design and web development agency. And the whole purpose of these conversations that we're going to start having are to be talking about the industry, talking about um, entrepreneurialism in this industry, talking about pop culture and specific um, legislative, in this instance, specific legislative, uh, legislative momentum that's happened in the country and specifically in Vermont. So with that today, on the first episode of Fire Learning, I wanna welcome Andrew Subin. He's an attorney with uh, Vermont Cannabis Solutions located in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, he, along with his co-founder, Tim Fair, uh, have set up this amazing uh, consultative network wherein businesses will, well, we'll let him get into it. <laughs> uh, Andrew, thanks so much for joining us on this first episode. I hope, uh, I hope I'm not doing too terribly yet. We'll, we'll, there's still room for me to grow. Um, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. No, Will, thank, thanks so much for having me. Uh, happy to be here on the uh, inaugural uh, episode uh, of Higher Learning. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm an attorney with Vermont Cannabis Solutions. Tim and I formed our company in, in 2018 um, to represent and help Vermont's cannabis industry and, and, and form businesses that are going to form Vermont's cannabis industry. Um, you know, you know, Will, that legalization uh, didn't of adult use uh, licensing didn't happen as quickly as we as we had hoped. Um, so sure did. Our, our business has been kept afloat by hemp and CBD. And we've started, uh, you know, over 50 companies. We, we represent nearly 100 companies in that who are growing hemp and selling smokable flour and making CBD products and, and retailing mm -hmm. CBD products and so forth. Um, and now here we sit, uh, we, we, we passed, uh, our bill, uh, even though the governor would not actually sign it, but, but the bill passed into law, right. uh, the first week in October, as I think probably most people watching this know, and, and here we sit, uh, poised at the beginning of Vermont's adult use, uh, regulated industry and, and what, a, what a great place to be and what a, what a great time, uh, to be here. So. Um, totally. So, yeah, you know, it, it's an interesting time nationally as we sit here, uh, you know, Friday morning, uh, still waiting to see who our next president is going to be. I think everybody's a little on edge about that. Uh, and, you know, this a little bit, Andrew, a little bit. <laughs> this past election cycle has is, is been important for cannabis. It's been good. It's been good for cannabis uh, and from the, on the state level in terms of cannabis initiatives. I hope we can talk about that for, for a little bit. And then we want to just really get an overview of where we're at with adult licensing in, in Vermont. So people know that we believe that Vermont is going to have the most success, uh, accessible industry uh, with the lowest barriers to entry. It's going to be an industry that's built for Vermonters. Um, and, and it's going to be, um, you know, it's just a great opportunity for anybody that, that's thinking about maybe, hey, you know, how can I get how can I get into this? And, and wouldn't I have a and wouldn't my life be great if I worked in the cannabis industry every day instead of doing what I do now? And the answer is yes, it will, it will be. I, I am in the cannabis industry, and I think the same thought every day, how lucky I am. Before we get into all that, uh, Andrew, I kind of want to like maybe turn on the flux capacitor and go back in time, maybe just even a couple of years, or just talk about, you know, how'd you get into law? Like, how'd you meet Tim? Why cannabis? You know, how'd you get, how'd you get, why did you decide on the cannabis industry? Great, but great, why did you become a lawyer? Great question. Great question. Um, I uh, became a lawyer probably for all the wrong reasons. I don't know, because I thought my dad wanted me to and whatever. So I, 
to follow in the family business, whatever. But uh, it was criminal defense. My dad, just so you know, all, the son of a lawyer. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, you broke you broke the mold, though. That's good. So, I did. Um, but so for me, it was got to be criminal defense. And I, I, I went to Seattle in the early 90s and uh, worked for a guy named Jeffrey Steinborn. Um, all respect, one of the one of the founding members of Normal, a guy who was um, sure. a powerful figure in the in the marijuana defense uh, in the Northwest and in Seattle in particular. And I and I went. That was my first job uh, out of law school. And we defended we oh. defended marijuana growers, man, cannabis growers. Uh, all obviously all black market. There was no there was no uh, regulated cannabis industry then. It was the, it was the nineties. And so that's how I. That was my first job, and that's how I learned to be a lawyer and learned to be a trial lawyer and learned about the Fourth Amendment, learned about search and seizure, and fought the DEA and, and the state authorities and state drug task force and so forth. So I've been representing. So it was immediate, right out of law school. Like you were, you were supporting the cannabis industry. Hey man, I love the I love the plant since I've been a teenager. Man, I I love I love cannabis. And I love I love cannabis. Move, move your move your head a little bit, and we'll we'll just prove that by your your pop culture references behind it. Yeah, I bet you did. I bet you did. I see you okay, starting that there. <laughs> Shout out to uh, to the Rusty Nail for hosting some dead cover bands, and boy, Vermont loves some dead cover bands. Okay, but um, lots of them, lots of them, yeah, lots of them. It could be every night of the week, but uh, but yeah. So, so you um, but you you got right into it right away. You didn't waste any yeah. time. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, uh, so fast forward a couple of years and, and, you know, comes in, it comes a legal industry in Washington state. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, legally I had a couple of helped a couple of people, got a couple of businesses started. I helped to start, start a lab in, in Hood River, Oregon, uh, even though I wasn't licensed in Oregon. And I did a little bit of work in Washington with a couple of cultivators, but basically did not get into the cannabis industry. And, and watched it come up around me, one of the first ones in the country in Washington. Um, yeah. And I felt, I always felt like, wow, boy, I sure missed the boat on that. And, uh, you know, what a shame, because then it became a, it became a, a much more mature industry and it, and it was what it was. But, um, you know, some personal issues in my life, uh, my kids moved out of the house and, and went, it went, you know, and do, they're doing their own thing. And, uh, it was time for me to move back east and, and be near my mom, who's getting older, and near my near my sisters and stuff. And and my sister is in uh, uh, lobbyist with the marijuana policy project, and she says, "Hey, Andrew, I'm sure she'll come up in in our conversation." But yes, your sister yeah. does have quite a large role in what's been happening, uh, right? And she for loves- years. I mean, I've known I've known your sister longer than I've known you. That's right. She. And shout out to my sister Laura Subin. We're talking about. She's been involved in the in the in the um, fight to to uh, regulate uh, cannabis and legalize cannabis from the beginning. And so she was saying, "Hey, you know, in 2017, she was saying, Andrew, this is happening now. You should come if you're interested." And I came and met Tim, who had a really similar idea about forming a cannabis law firm uh, in a model of how. People had formed cannabis law firms in Portland and in Denver and in Seattle um, sure. and, and in Los Angeles. Um, and so we, you know, Laura introduced me and Tim and it was, uh, you know, match made in heaven. Let's like, you know, let's definitely do, let's do this together and let's let's see if we can if we can uh, make a cannabis law firm that's going to be here for Vermont. And, you know, from from the beginning of Vermont Cannabis Solutions and, you know, you know, some of this, Will, you've been with us from the beginning and. Um, but our but our vision is to be more than just a law firm, and um, 
to, to make connections, to, uh, to help people get to know each other, to, um, to, build, to build an industry uh, and, and a, Vermont, a Vermont, in a Vermont way. And that means with personal connections where people know each other and you're doing business with friends. And, it's, and that's, the, that's the vision for the industry that Tim and I had it from the beginning. And now we feel so excited that, you know, and I really, I, this has just kind of occurred to me in the last couple of weeks, but, you know, um, you know, the, the Cannabis Control Board hasn't been formed yet. We don't have, we don't know the, the, uh, what the structure of, of our rules are going to look like and, and what the, uh, what the framework for, for licensing application is going to look like. There's a lot of unknowns right now. Um, but wow, that's a clean slate. That's a clean slate. And it's going to be um, people like, you know, Tim and people like Laura and people like you. Um, uh, and we can make the industry be what we want it to be right now. You know, um, not just us. Yeah, but all, it's a all, big all ball of lumpy clay. That's right. And, and it's and not just us, but, but all of us, all of us and all of us who are going to participate in it. And, and we're starting to realize now who, who some of those, at least who some of the people that are going to be that are going to be, you know, some of the major players. and. Um, so collectively, we can make a Vermont cannabis industry that is what we all want it to be. Um, and what an opportunity right now with a clean, like I say, a clean slate to, to make, um, to, to correct if we, if we go astray at certain points, which un undoubtedly we will, um, you know, to try to influence who gets on the cannabis control board, to try to influence the way the rules are crafted. Um, look how look how uh, the agency of Ag agriculture uh, has worked with us, and how we've been able to work with them on some of the hemp stuff. And on and as they write the rules, to explain to them with a simple phone call what's working and what's not working in terms of the hemp rules, and to have them respond and and change the rules or change the way they're interpreting the rules. So you know that's the kind of relationship that we want to have with the regulating authority for cannabis. The, you know the cannabis control commission um you bring up you bring up a really good point about just like the networking thing and i and we will get into like more specifics about kind of what's happening currently nationally and in vermont but um that that point you made about kind of the 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 networking and like this the the quote vermont way of doing things which is something vermonters say a lot right we do it the vermont way um, we're from Vermont. We do what we want, right? Like as the old adage says. Um, but I would, I totally agree with you. And I think that actually, you know, beyond, um, just, uh, advocate, you know, through advocacy, I think is where the, the network first started to like, where we first started to come out of the shadows and meet each other. Like I can remember first meeting Tim in, you know, at the state house, uh, during one of those first, you know, initial bill readings in like 20. 15 or something like that. So, um, and that's where I met a lot of people who would eventually become friends, clients, peers in this industry. You're obviously yourself included. Um, but from there, we were finally able to, to sort of coalesce way more than we'd ever been able to in the past because this was finally starting to happen. Um, and you're right. Like it's, it's led to, you know, beyond fruitful business relationships it's it's led to friendships you know it's it's led to uh people who've become like pretty tight and that's awesome you know like uh that's that's a really fun part of it and i do like seeing kind of the organic growth of the industry uh happening that way like um 
I know the lawyers. It's you guys. You know the the creative people. It's us. And like we can point them to, you know, these people do that. And we've got this lab over here and, and we've all kind of come up together. So I think we, you know, for the most part, a certain amount of us are well aware of the importance of integrity, right? And and the seriousness in which we take this. But I want to, before we, again, before we get into to S54 specifically, I want to go, because one of the kind of umbrella topics that I want to touch upon in all of these conversations we do is entrepreneurialism. And, you know, that's you, you know, like you, you met, Tim, you know, your sister introduced you to Tim and, and something happened. And, you know, the, the co-founder relationship, even co-legal partner relationship, like it's an interesting thing. It's a del- you know, humans are humans and relationships are generally fragile. Um, what was it, you know, that, and, and specifically when we're talking about businesses, that co-founder relationship in particular is like a very delicate one. Yeah. Uh, I should know I've been through a few, <laughs> you know what I mean? What, what was it with Tim? You know, like, obviously we're, okay. So we're talking about Tim Fair, uh, your co-founder with uh, Vermont Cannabis Solutions, uh, uh, you know, in my mind, uh, uh, he reminds me of a TV attorney. And I don't mean that in a bad way, in a way that I mean, like, he's super smart. He's very fast. Um, and he dresses so sharp. So how, what, what was it when you met Tim? Like what, you know, what kind of what light bulb went off and, you know, well, I mean, um, look- made, made you see an opportunity? Tim, Tim Fair, you know, uh, Tim Fair almost needs no introduction at this point. He doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, Tim's got a, Tim's an amazing, uh, an amazing guy, uh, you know, heart of gold. That's the most important thing that I, that I think, and that it's apparent when you first meet him. Um, but, but a smart guy, good lawyer, um, you know, uh, but, but what you, but, and I, and I have everything good to say about him, you know, I mean, he's been a great partner. Uh, I couldn't have done this without him. Um, I think we, we bring, we both bring, but was it just, was it just that sim like, was it, was it that easy for you? Was it, you know, like, was it just like, Oh, I get along with this guy and we're like-minded and we're both attorneys. We should do this. I want to answer. I mean, I want to get all the good stuff and all the praise out of the way because I don't, I, I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all love Tim. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to make that, I want to make that clear and put that on the record, but um, make but, it clear. You know, when, what I, but, but you're starting a business together. More that's this because this is what your question was about. All right. So Tim, yeah, Tim's a great guy. I'm a great guy, but, but that's what we're making. But we're talking about making a business together. And that's your, that's your wealth. That's your livelihood. You know, that's your family and your kids. You're supporting with that. And so, you know, that's no joke. And um, so, you know, what I, first of all, Tim and I were business partners first. We were introduced and we sat down for coffee with, with Laura and it was like, should we form a business? It was a business decision from cool. We were not friends who made a business together. We met, mm-hmm. formed a business together, and luckily we're friends now. But 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 the business yes. came from day one, and that's a, that's a real difference. I mean, a lot. That's you know where where I've seen problems is is history of friendships, and you're bringing all that you're bringing some baggage, you're bringing some other stuff, and everybody knows each other's family, and and now we're going to form a cannabis business together. Wow, that's really loaded. But we met at we met at, at arm's length. We were both cannabis attorneys, and we met. And our, our first meeting was a business meeting, and we weren't drinking beer, and we weren't smoking any cannabis, and we were having a business meeting the first time we met. And sure. that that's what I think is the better way to to have a business partner. Be a business partner first, and then yes, Tim has become a very close friend, of course. But but that was that came second, and yeah. and I think that's part of the reason why we've been successful, you, you know, so far. 
that's I mean that's so interesting to hear because it's not a common I mean maybe this is just the can of planners bubble but from from other uh, you know conversations with peers that's not a common way of doing it usually it is like you know we're getting high and it's like let's start a band you know what yeah. I mean <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. so like being able to uh, skip over that or or actually just eventually get to that you know and and formulate the business first. That's great because it, you know, I'm sure it saved you lots of headaches. Well, yeah, and then, and then, you know, that the other thing, even if you are, even if you are going to form a band with your buddy, I mean, maybe that's just how it is, and God bless because you know, there's totally. some, there's some beautiful partnerships that way. But the other thing Tim and I did was we put it down in writing, and we both signed it, right? And we, which, which makes you sit down and talk about, okay, well, what happens if, what happens if you want out? What happens if we, if this business runs up debt and we both owe it? What happens if we want to take on a third partner? You know, what happens if? And you have to sit down and talk about that stuff and then write it down and sign it. And it's not about not being friends. And, it, and uh, that's what can make it hard with your buddy, right? If you if it's a yeah. session and you come into some hard decisions, now like sign that. Not that I don't trust you, but sign that. But for Tim and I, it's like, yeah, sign it, man. Yeah. And and let's let's talk about it. Let's agree to yeah, it. Yeah, this is what's this is what would be good for any business. That's a business. But when you when you don't do that, then two years go by and it's like, well, you said I was going to get and I said you were supposed to do this. And no one knows what anybody said. No one knows what anybody's done. Right. And just the clarity of having a partnership document that's written down is a basic, basic business, man. And, and, and cannabis, a lot of times, even in even in deals, you've probably seen this, Will. I mean, two cannabis businesses, the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's your buddy. You smoke with him. It's cool. Eh? I'm going to buy some, I'm going to buy some hemp from him. I'm going to buy some, some THC from him, whatever. Well, I mean, we're trying to turn this into an industry, into a real business. And that means even if it's your buddy, you write it down. And you look, if you need to scroll it on the back of a napkin and you both initial it, whatever, if you don't want to threaten each other, I understand that. We've done a lot of contracts where guys are like, I don't want all that. I just need one, a one page. Okay. A one page thing. It's better than nothing. I would like a full on, full blown contract for all the deals. But um, as we stop treating these like drug deals and start treating them like business deals, you write contracts for stuff. 100%. 100%. And there's two things that you're kind of making me think about here. One is uh, just kind of how that not only defines, you know, uh, what's going to happen in the immediate and you know near future of the the birth of the business right in those real startup years like you guys know what your responsibilities are because that was why you came together first as opposed to like hey let's start a band right or or whatever and and then we'll figure out what we're going to do which i'll be you know i'll admittedly say is is a way that can planner started way in the beginning not that we wanted you know we had a true vision um but it was you're creative. I can sell stuff. Let's, you know, let's do it. And we're friends. Like how hard can this be? Right. And and that was for sure a learning mistake um, for, for us, but uh, you know, and it's something, as you say, like as this industry matures and as it, you know, kind of becomes self-aware and understands that it is an industry um, and needs to act as such, then you're right. You know, so it's just interesting to hear you say the other thing that we, kind of, we uh, want, the other thing I would just add quickly about that, um, yeah. same goes when you're, when you're trying to raise money, you know, um, like people are like, well, here's an investor and they want to, they want to give me money and they want to purchase 10% of my company. And well, what do you think? Right. Um, and I think like the person should bring more than money. 
Like the person should be uh, a good team Equity. and the person should maybe bring some industry experience. And if, if it's just a check, then they better be a silent partner and keep their mouth shut. I don't want the, our, comp our company's influenced by people who don't have any experience and who want to say how things should go because they wrote a check. So I would say a check, the check is great. But let's take a check from somebody who's also going to bring some knowledge and some experience and some connections and, and something more than just money to the table, especially if you're selling a, a percentage of your company. So um, anyway, we're getting, we're, we're, we're in, a, this is a great, uh, we're on a great topic, but we got a lot oh, of to talk about well. Yeah, no, I love this. Yeah, the the entrepreneurial stuff. I, I will admit, like, as I start doing more of these, I hope, like, the entrepreneurial side of things is for sure, like, the thing that really interests me the most, even, you know, more than the plant, more than, uh, you know, even a specific conversation, like the way people grind in this industry. Well, you know, just just that that drive and especially like in this industry. And I see this a lot to my customers. Right. Which is like we're all still pirates. Like this is still federally illegal, <laughs> you know, like states are popping off and, and things are happening. But th that coalescence that we were talking about in the beginning is really important, not only for business, but as the businesses strengthen, as the industry strengthens, uh, you know, the, the hope is that this <laughs> becomes legal, <laughs> right? That we can actually truly come out of the shadows um, and well, take advantage of all the same things business, other businesses can. I, I, absolutely. And, you know, it takes a certain it takes a certain risk taker and a certain uh, uh, fight the man kind of attitude, I think, to be yeah. in this industry. And that's why we that's why we love it. But look, it's a, you're, you're, a little bit of bullheadedness. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, but the uh, and a well, bit so let's let risk tolerance, because, look, it's it's not that it's not a risk free industry to be in. But look, your our start with this entrepreneurial focus is a great transition. To talking about S fifty four a little bit, if we want to, because um, totally. And I was going to that my my segue was going to be like there now that S fifty four is here. Um, the you know we we saw it a few years ago with this kind of the CBD boom in Vermont specifically, and you know it happened elsewhere in the country, but we're Vermonters. That's our bubble. Um, we saw that boom happen a few years back um, of just businesses and entrepreneurialism and people looking to finally, you know, trade in the dairy cows for the hemp fields. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, let's, let's get into S54, but you know, I think the, we're, we're going to see a lot more businesses in the next few years for sure. Um, so let's see, we decriminalized. So medical marijuana was passed in 2004, right? Decriminalization of cannabis was 2013. Correct. We had legalization just a couple of years ago in 2018. Correct. And that then a lot of home grow of, of high THC plants as well. Oh, I took advantage of that, man. I, I, I am. Uh, <laughs> I am a. I do not have a green thumb, and I like none of my plants were awesome, and they all probably died. And I don't even think I ingested any of it. But just the fact that I had a new civil liberty that I could exercise was. Oh. That's really fun. Steep learning curve. So, I'm a novice home grower. Steep learning curve, but it's fun, man. I love it. Big, 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 it's I called like, weed, but it's still, it's still, yeah. Right. I don't, but don't worry, everybody out there, you cultivators, because I still need to purchase my cannabis out there somewhere because I can't grow. Same. I, no, so. Same. Um, yeah. Uh, Andrew will make you guys legal. I'll make you guys look cool, but we'll still depend on you to to help us out. 
So I kind of want to talk a little bit about the history of S54. And like I, I was saying earlier in this conversation, you know, the advocacy, and I'm using air quotes for people who are just listening to us because, uh, and I'm talking about myself because I, I would never classify myself as an advocate. I am uh, not in the truest sense of words. I'd be embarrassed to call myself that. With that said, I spent many days on uh, in the Capitol building, had many conversations with local politicians, uh, helped organize, you know, certain things in, in the in in the in the political sphere to to erase knowledge. Blah. It's not about me. I'm not an advocate. Is all I'm saying. But that's to say that my first encounter with Tim and your sister was through, you know, the early days of this bill, which has gone through, you know, whatever four years, uh, uh, six years of iteration, different names, you know. Some have passed, most have failed. Um, so I was just wondering if maybe before we get into the specifics of what S54 says, can you give us a little history on it? Yeah, well, I mean, some of the history, I'm a newcomer, man. I'm a newcomer to Vermont, and some of the history is before my time. Um, I'll in, fill in the blanks. Pre previous previous versions of the bill and so forth. But so I, I can tell you, sort of, I pick up where the drama was happening when I got here in 2017. So that's at least going back three years, but, um, yeah, so I would say like, maybe even like for, for me, it was probably just two years before that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but when I came, you know, the home grow, the home grow legalization was upon us, for example, the 20, the, the 2018, uh, the bill that legalized home grow in 2018 was a done deal sort of by the time I got here, but we were still waiting for adult use. And there was a lot of hope that we were going to get it done in 2018. Um, the effort stalled, uh, and you know, well, I mean, I guess by way of background to some people who are watching, cause of course I know, you know, this well, but, um, politically, uh, there were some hurdles and the first hurdle was the governor's office or, or one hurdle was the governor's office. And the governor had an issue about, I mean, in my opinion, the governor was raising kind of bogus issues because he's a bit of a foot dragger on, on legalized adult use cannabis. Um, and one of those was the roadside saliva test. And so for a while we were back. I remember the road, the, the elusive roadside saliva test. Right. So, you know, which in, in light of the social justice protests we've seen uh, this past summer and still, um, you know, giving the police another reason to hassle people and, and people who they pull over um, wasn't very, it wasn't very politically, uh, uh, tolerable for, for a lot of Democrats and a lot of more liberal people to now authorize a roadside saliva test for cannabis. That, that felt like a loss of civil liberties uh, for Vermonters and, you know, people who are in favor of uh, deregulating or, or regulating adult use cannabis. Um, they're not in favor of giving up civil liberties uh, for Vermonters. So there was a real tension there. Um, now the compromise. This is, this is, this is why this is great because like, while, you know, I, I was just saying I was exercising civil liberties a moment ago, like when the governor was bringing up this thing about uh, the roadside saliva test to me, I was. Yes, of course, that what you're saying makes total sense. Yeah, that's a total violation of our civil our civil rights. What I was thinking about as kind of like a technology guy is like this is a bit of a red herring, like this thing could never really exist as a perfect device. Like that's not really how the body, how metabolism works or. Absolutely. You know, so that 
absolutely a red herring. A saliva test would be inadmissible in court. There is no saliva test that does what the governor said it was going to do. Um, and but so it was put in there to, to it was an issue that was raised to kill the bill, in my opinion. Um, and it, it, it did, you know, just about did the first time, you know, for that and other reasons, the bill stalled out. Now, here we are. You know, well, he, ve- he vetoed it year, uh, last year. Is that correct? Vetoed it last year. The. Uh, um, but let, let me just fill it. Uh, fill in where we are now on this issue of saliva tests. Ultimately, here's the compromise. Saliva tests, uh, if the officer gets a search warrant first. Okay, so um, the governor can ha- the governor gets his saliva test, but not really, because the, the officer needs to get a search warrant first, which means the officer has to have probable cause to believe that you've committed a crime. And, um, and that's, no, that's the same as current state law. If an officer has reason to believe that you've committed a crime, he can get a search warrant right now for your blood. They can just forget the saliva. So if he if you've reached that point, he can get a search warrant for your blood and they can have a test that's much more still got all kinds of evidentiary problems because THC in your blood does not show that you were driving under the influence of anything. And they haven't even shown that cannabis can impair driving, period. So 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 Tim and I also feel like if there's a cannabis DUI and we have been seeing them. Um, there's no, nobody should plead guilty to a cannabis DUI. We will defend, vigorously defend anybody accused of driving under the influence of cannabis. There is no such thing. And, you know, that we've seen this in, as, as states go legal, uh, law enforcement getting pissed off. And so they want to do something. So this is what they can do. That's a, that's a cannabis DUI. Um, you know, never admit, look, my policy is don't smoke in the car. Why should you? You can smoke at home. You can smoke where you're going. Just don't smoke while you're driving. It's common sense. But look, don't ever admit that you smoked. You know, a lot of it's gone like this. Well, you get pulled over. Hey, uh, have you been drinking? No. Have you smoked any pot today? Yeah, I smoked a little earlier this afternoon. And you're into a DUI or a, a rep process. So don't admit, don't talk to cops, period. That's just yeah. I think uh, if ever there was a time for people to heed that advice, uh, it'd be now in this current state of the world we live in, which is you know obviously unfortunate, but um, it is a a a bit of a reality that we're that we're currently facing. But that civil right too. You don't have to. You don't have to talk to a cop. And when he's asking you, you know, DUI is whether it's alcohol or cannabis. The cop walks up to your car. Have you had anything to drink? Well, I mean. And if the, and you have, and you're going to tell them, yeah, I had a couple. I mean, imagine if you walked up to the car and said, wait, did you shoot anybody today? Oh, yeah, there was a couple guys I shot. No, you're not going to have one guy. Right? So, I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, you're going to be like, I want a lawyer, which is the right answer. That's what you should say if he asks you the question about, did you have a drink? I'm not answering you. Am I guilty of a crime? I don't answer that question. This is America still, I think. So, um, so yeah. Um, so the roadside saliva test, yeah, okay. So it's in the bill, but it's a warrant, search warrant requirement. So who cares? And from my perspective, and evidentiary, it's going to be useless. And I don't think it's yeah, it's a it's 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 a political win, you know. For Phil, uh, you know, okay. So so let's just you know we're, we're a little all over the place, but let's let's also give context that in the current bill that is now law, right? Uh, as of just a few weeks ago, the right. governor didn't sign it. He did not sign it. Uh, but under Vermont law, uh, it, he did not veto it. 
And so it, it became law without his signature. Um, and so, so he was sticking to his, you know, he was sticking to his unrealistic guns on this saliva test. Um, well, but you know, luckily he let, he let politics happen. Ironically, ironically, boy, we were, we're a couple of political kind of, uh, events away at, through the story. Um, yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, at the end, there was a real push by some people, uh, to kill the bill. And these were not people who are anti-cannabis. These were pro-cannabis people who tried to kill the bill. Um, Very pro-cannabis. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in my opinion, with disingenuous motivation, because I think they're, for the most part, black uh, people who are growing on the unregulated market, who don't want to see a regulated market, who feel a fear for their market share. The unregulated market right now is booming in Vermont. Uh, sure. These guys are trying to kill the idea of a regulated industry, and uh, one of one of the issues they raised to try to do that was that the bill does not have uh, social justice provisions that are adequate, social equity provisions that are adequate, um, and that um, is true. I believe that is true. The bill. Uh, is inadequate on its social equity provisions, and I would like to see that expanded. Um, but, you know, the idea that continuing with the status quo is somehow better for um, for racial profiling uh, than, than a regulated industry, I don't, I don't accept that. And I think that the regulated industry... It doesn't seem that logical. No, and I think that the regulated, like the social equity provisions in the bill do need some work, but so let's work on them. Let's not kill the bill. And, and just let's just stick with the black market. No, let's work on them and let's strengthen them. Um, killing the bill. Let, let's let let's go back. Let's go back a little bit before we get to that. Though let's let's talk about kind of let's just do like a 2019 v 2020, right? So the bill is called the same thing. It's right. still S 54. Um, right. It it was drastically different than what was passed, and in just in regards to what you're bringing up now about some of the divisiveness that the, the current bill still had, it was night and day from, from the previous bill, which was blatantly uh, exclusive, right? Right, right. I mean, it's, it's improved. But my point, we got, we got onto this topic because Governor Scott, at the end, was uh, said he, he said that he refused to sign the bill because it wasn't strong enough on social justice. So at the end, he wasn't saying anything about saliva and roadside. Right. <laughs> what? Saliva what? Yeah. Oh, right. No. All of a sudden, you know, Phil Scott is the big fucking lead. Excuse my language. Phil Scott is the leader on uh, social social equity, which was ludicrous and ridiculous. But great. If, if that's the position he's taken, then great. Then, so, then appoint some people of color to the Cannabis Control Board, maybe. Governor Scott. Absolutely. That's what you're concerned about. Then, you know... Um, He's in a position, as I said in the beginning, we all are in a position to make this industry what we want it to be. So let's let's make a socially just industry. Let's create let's have the Cannabis Control Board crafts some better and more detailed rules about what that means for Vermont. By the way, on the topic of of, of social equity and cannabis, you know, um, every state has had a hard time rolling out these social equity programs. Um, and there is no there is no perfect answer that fits nationwide on this. And, and a social equity program for Illinois 
you know, that has a city like Chicago, um, that's a lot different than what we're talking about in Vermont. There is no Chicago in Vermont and there is no Los Angeles. There is no Compton, uh, you know, um, where kids have been terrorized for decades over, over smoking joints. Um, while the white kids were allowed to smoke joints in the suburbs, right? So I'm not, that stuff happened here, but it's just not, it's just not exactly the same. And so we can't, right. we can't just take what they did in Illinois and stick it on Vermont or what they're doing in San Francisco and stick it on, on Vermont. We, we need a Vermont approach to this. And I don't know the answer. And, and, and these, guy, these guys who were raising these objections, by the way, didn't know the answer and didn't have any, any great suggestions about what should be different. And again, it was another, uh, uh, it was disingenuous. It was a red herring, but one that was, uh, you know, an issue that's close to my heart and close to a lot of a lot of the cannabis advocates' hearts. And it was very painful for for someone like Laura Subin to to be attacked for being insensitive to social justice. That's her. That's been her big issue all along. Expungement. She's she talks about expungement and social justice before she talked about anything else. Every time you see her speak publicly, and then at the end to have these guys saying that. You know, she doesn't care about social justice and she's somehow advocating for the industry, for big industry and big corporations. I mean, it was painful to it was very hurtful to Tim, to, to Laura, to a lot of the people that had done a lot of this work to 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 be, uh, you know, um, thrown under the bus in that on that particular issue, because it's just not true. And it just wasn't fair. Um, and so, you know, there's. Uh, there's, there was some hard feelings. I'm not going to lie. There's been some hard feelings over how this went down and, and over efforts to kill the bill and, and guys like us and, and you and uh, trying to trying to make sure that the bill gets passed and people trying to ask the governor to veto it, ask the governor to sign it. The end of it didn't, you know, the end of this and the passage of this bill and passing without the governor's signature, it, it didn't leave a great feeling in, in everybody's mouth after this. Um no, you you would you would expect that there would have been a big party. You know, we all would have been so psyched, but it, we all did kind of come out of this a little hardened, maybe a, with a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth. I think that um, you know, in in looking at uh, the saliva piece in years past, uh, in years previous to uh, um, you know the passage of S fifty four, and then kind of hanging the hat on the social um, justice piece of it. Uh, you know, and ignoring the saliva, it just goes to show that Phil Scott probably just isn't for legal cannabis and doesn't want that as like, a, you know, a, a, an asterisk or, or a, you know, a, a highlight of his political career. Yeah. Um, and probably, probably, probably these groups who are, who are, um, you know, pro cannabis, but anti S54 um, saw an opportunity to, to just exploit politics, really. Yeah. Public opinion. Yeah. I and think it's a shame. You're right. Like it was, I was, it was such a bummer to see it all go down because after all of these years of trying to, you know, <laughs> we'd all show up in our suit and suit and ties, like to the, to the, you know, to the legislative hearings or the, the council uh, hearings on, and, and for what it's worth, none of these, none of the detractors of today were, were at any of those meetings. Um, but, you know, coming together and then just seeing it fracture right at the end is, is kind of a bummer. But, we're going to come out of it strong and we're going to support Vermont business um, as this, as this thing grows. And I think like, that's something that people often, I, I mean, they, they don't understand about the political process is like the law that exists today is not the law that 
was passed two years ago. You know what I mean? Like these things are constantly evolving and this is, uh, you know, in support, you know, despite their past positions in support of, um, you know, the ultimate goals, which I think are, you know, there's some, there's some altruism in there. The, the overall goal, arching goals of uh, the, the detractors of S54, don't stop yelling. Like, don't be quiet. Like, you know, S50, now let's get the bill you want. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Let's, Absolutely. yeah. Um, and I think that's forgotten all the time is like, this isn't, this isn't even close to done. Like the biggest hurdle was 2018 legal, legalizing. And then this year in opening up the marketplace, which is going to be good for Vermont and whether or not the bill is perfect, on the onset is irrelevant to me. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And if there's if there's problems in the in the social justice provisions, let's 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 have the cannabis control board to make that stronger. And if you know, ultimately, you know, if what's really going on are um, guys who are just making a ton of cash on the unregulated market right now are worried about uh, what their what their bottom line is going to be in a regulated system. Well, then let's make sure that the system works for that. And let's make sure that the small cultivation businesses yeah. are affordable. And let's make sure they have a place to, you know, to get a reasonable price for their product at retail. And, you know, maybe it won't be, maybe it won't be, uh, they won't be making the, the same bottom line that they make now. But look, Will, uh, here are the benefits of, of joining the regulated industry for these, for these guys or for anybody who, who say, why should I? I'm, here I am, I'm, uh, you know, I'm making X number of dollars a month or a year, you, you know, just growing on, on the unregulated market. And I have my customers and I'm going great. And God bless, by the way, you know, overall reg, uh, regulation and the start of this industry is not going to increase the risk for guys who, who want to continue and have their customers and have done it that way for years. They're going to be able to probably continue doing that. So don't freak out. But right. uh, you're going to be filling a shoebox with cash and you're going to be filling, a, you know, underneath your mattress with cash. And um, you know, maybe you want to get into a position where you can build some real wealth, okay? And by real wealth, I mean uh, wealth that can be um, passed down to your children, a wealth that can be used to purchase real estate, um, you know, wealth that can be that could go into a stock portfolio or a 401k. Again, it's not going to, you know, taking it from a drug deal to a business. And that means real wealth that, you know, uh, that generational wealth that you can pass on to your children and you can create something that is, that is meaningful for your family for generations, rather than you got a bunch of cash in a shoebox and on the, on the rec, you know, and you're, and you're also collecting unemployment or whatever, like God bless, but there's another, there's another way. And there's some benefits to jumping through those hoops and paying your taxes and getting regulated. And, and, and the answer is you don't have to look over your shoulder. That's a huge one. Um, but the other one is you can create good legal wealth that can do all these other things for you. That's legal. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons and it's a great opportunity for people and hopefully everybody will, um, come out of the, come out of the unregulated market and join a community and, and let's make a community of Vermont cultivators that are going to grow. The, we already know they're growing the best cannabis probably in the country. Um, For sure. And, and you know, we, again, we're, I don't know if we're getting off topic, but if you if you just can 
if people can just think and project a short number of years ahead, five years ahead, make a five-year plan, man, when this, when your Vermont cannabis can be sold at a store in Manhattan. And, and it's like, it's yeah. in Vermont and everybody wants that. And there's a national cannabis yeah. industry. They want it in LA, maybe. And they want it in Dallas and Houston and everywhere. And because it's from Vermont and because it's called Vermont grown, green, mountain, fresh, whatever. I, everybody's in right. their, their candy. You know, you're designing all these green mountains. I'll but, handle that. I'll handle that part, <laughs> right, Andrew? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Bob. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I, I do. I do. I think, I think there's, you know, you're absolutely, I, I think you're absolutely right. You're right on the money, literally, um, about sort of, you know, beyond, beyond the social reform of this whole thing, like there's real, there's real business to be created and real money to be made. So I want to get into, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time today, but I do want to get into kind of the specifics of S54, what it kind of lays out now for the current state of the Vermont cannabis industry and, and what it's going to mean for the future of these home growers and people who are, who are interested in starting businesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just, just to run through really quickly, um, it, it, uh, the licensing will happen in 2022. So 2021 is for the formation of the board and for the creation of the rules and the creation of the applications, the license applications. And then 2022 in, in, in beginning of, in April of 2022, uh, there's a series of application windows that are going to open for various licenses. So the first one to become available will be a small, the small cultivation license. And we know that the small cultivation license is going to be limited to a thousand square feet. And all you creative and inventive types out there who are going to say, can I build a 10 story building that's on a thousand square foot footprint? I, you know, we don't have the rules yet. We don't know, but maybe your vertical gardens and all this stuff I, people are thinking about, we don't, we don't know a lot of the details, but a thousand square feet. We believe that that's going to be the most success. That's going to be very accessible license, way easier than any other state. You know, again, the idea here is to bring people who are cultivating on, on the unregulated market and bring them in. And so we think the license fee is going to be low on that. In, pre in previous versions of the bill, it's been a thousand dollars. Maybe it'll be 1500, maybe it'll be 2,500, but in that, in that range for that small cultivation license. Um, Let me stop you right there, Andrew, because I think these license fees is is actually a huge piece to the social justice aspect of it. So the the point of entry is exponentially smaller than most other states. Absolutely. Well, especially for cultivation. We're hoping, you know, pretty lax regulations about what the building itself needs to be like. So like if you've got your 10 acres, whatever, and you have an outbuilding, it's a barn, it used to be a barn and it's fitted up. Hopefully you can cultivate adult use cannabis in there, hopefully. Um, I mean, look, they're going to be concerned about fire danger and so forth. But uh, if you can convince them that. Totally, but I, I guess what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is in like states like California or Colorado, in order to even approach the board, you have to have, you know, oh, in some cases, a million dollars liquid right. in the bank ready to go, you know. Right. And we're not we're not seeing anything like that in Vermont. Um, you know, it's right. It's and, and the town. There's no there's not a, a, an opportunity for the towns to, to influence cultivation uh, in terms of opting in and opting out uh, for cultivation. So for cultivation, yeah, man, find find a place where there's a thousand square feet, uh, a place to put a thousand square foot building and get a small cultivators license and go to town. That's the first license you can get. Um after that, a month, 30 days after that license comes, it's time for you to apply for your larger cultivation license. 
So that's a short window. So if you if you want to go larger than a thousand square feet, you should probably have a plan. We think people should have a plan from the beginning. Look, I want to be five thousand, or I want to be ten. You're going to build the ten thousand square foot building and license um, and and tarp it off, temporary walls, whatever. Use a thousand square feet, but your plan is going to be in the application. You're going to be telling the board, hey. I plan on being 10,000 square feet. I've already got the building. And maybe as soon as 30 days later, you can expand from your one to your, now we don't know how big yet, from your one to your 10 or your 20. We don't know what the size, next size up is going to be. Um, a month after that, it's time to apply for your processing license, your product manufacturing license, same thing. Processing, product manufacturing, it's a processing license, just like we do with hemp. But if you want to make edibles, if you want to make extracts, you need to get that processing license. Uh, processing uh, for edibles is it just in a nutshell is not such a big deal. You can do it in a home kitchen if you're under ten thousand dollars a year. Once you get under over that ten thousand dollar a year threshold, uh, that kicks into a lot of rules. You need a commercial kitchen. That uh, it changes the labeling rules in, in terms of the FDA and so forth. If you're making a food, so. Um, and, and if you're actually processing like extraction with ethanol or CO2 or uh, that, re that is going to be not uh, such a problem for the license from the Cannabis Control Board, but you're into a fire, the fire marshal inspection and the building inspection and all that because of the hazardous nature of extraction. Um, and then ultimately, you know, a month after those processing licenses, it's time for the uh, retail licenses. So those are due September 1st, retail license applications, and then retail licenses are issued and doors open for retail sales, October 1st, 2022. Now I've skipped over the integrated licenses and the dispensaries and boy, just, we were just talking about some of the political footballs that we've been through. We didn't talk about the dispensary head start, but boy, have we been around and back with the dispensary head start. And where we come out is a five-month dispensary head start, and so and just just hold up before you keep going. So let's let's re remind people watching and listening what it used to be. Well, I mean, it was twelve months head start. It was I, I think it was even longer than that. At one point, was it? Uh, the, yeah, there was a point where the original where the lobbyist was was pushing for two years. I'm right. They were asking for twenty twenty. I think it was twenty four months, and then it was twelve months. And then the end again, compromising, compromising, compromising. Um, it's one, it's one, it's five months, and that's state law now. So, so, and, and I mean that's that that. I mean, I don't, I don't think we should like gloss too far over this. Like this is the, the, herein lies like what we're talking about. Like this is the political process and and getting to where we need to be from you know what is blatantly um, something that's taking advantage of uh, you know. A process and and, and and the law you know first like yeah compromise yeah. you know compromise and evolution no you're you're right and and there and there were a few more bones thrown to the the rest of the industry too as part of the compromise and and the one really huge thing is if you get that small cultivator's license you can sell to that to that integrated license on day one now you know i've had people come into my office and say, I'd never sell my stuff to the dispensary, bah, 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 bah. And okay, fair enough. As you know, there's been a lot of um, bad blood and, and 
for a lot of for a lot of legit reasons um, and some illegit reasons. Um, and so some cultivators and some guys feel like, no, I'll never sell my stuff to the dispensary. Other people feel like I can start making money the day, very first day I get my small cultivators license. Yes, I will, will take advantage of that. Thank you very much. If now there's only going to be, you know, four integrated license dispensaries. So it's only four dispensaries for the whole state. It's the other thing about the head start for the dispensaries, like whatever, man, four locations for five months, you know, it, yeah. it, it, by the time you put you, one cycle, you grow and the, and the other dispensaries will be open, you know? Totally. I, and just, just to bring it back into kind of our realm at Canna Planners, like that, you know, beyond now or, you know, anytime kind of prepping through the 2018 gray market um, up until now, like this is brand building. This is what any company should be doing um, to, to build their company. And yeah, the dispensaries may have not always been our friend. Uh, but, and, and as you said, like, it's really only like barely a cycle, uh, you know, uh, it's half a year, you know, barely. Um, but getting those products out there beyond social media, beyond, you know, word of mouth or whatever, um, it's a huge step to, to brand building, you know, like this, because when the doors do open to the, to the boutique Vermont shops, you know, when these, when these stores like the Vermont Hepicurian or, you know, Elevated State or any, any number of these small boutique CBD shops, Zen Barn Farms, like the ones that currently exist, like they're going to pivot. They're going to want, you know, like, like, as you said, people want Vermont products. And to me, when, when you say that, it's like a, um, you know, people use the word craft, which I basically despise, but that kind of small batch um, artisanal, very passionately grown, like grown with knowledge, grown with love, that sort of thing. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a huge part of that first five months there, like building that, you know, building, having those companies build their brand. Look, man, we know it when we see it, you know, it's going to be a race. Yeah. It's going to be a race to the top in Vermont and everybody wants the primo, right? That's what Vermont's about. You know, we're not, we're yeah. not, we're not drinking Budweiser in Vermont. We're drinking Hetty Topper and we're not smoking, you know, we're not smoking Massachusetts weed. We're smoking Vermont weed, you know, and we know it when we see it. Like, I can't, I can't say it, but you know, a guy who knows what he's doing when he's growing this stuff and you know what he grows and you like it. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Let's build a brand because if you've been to the, and, and you know, you know, people out West, and you've been to these more, more mature industries. That's how consumers buy cannabis in California, and that's how they buy cannabis in, in Oregon and stuff. They know the well. Group. It's how consumers buy almost anything. Like yeah, I mean, cannabis, you know, it is that it's that personal relationship. Right. It's the it's the going yeah. to Walmart versus going to the general store sort of thing. Like yeah. you know, it, 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 it you know the the transparency of of the products that you're buying, uh, or rather, your emotional connection to the products that you're buying. Yeah. Um, that's that that's why a, a brand valuation you know that's why they're so high it's not because it might not be because they're selling you know millions of dollars worth of product although probably they are but it's also coupled with uh you know the perception of the brand well that's it i mean it, and i guess what i meant was when when i say that's how they're buying cannabis like they're not they're not going into the store and asking for a strain it's not like oh i like right blue or i like i like chem dog no i like this fat box i like low yeah. Either I like that logo, that's really cool, or 
uh, you know, have you been buying for years? Like I like Lowell Farms. They grow good dough. What do they? What do you have by those guys? Oh well, we have this. It's indica sativa. I don't care. I want what they grow. Sure. And what strain is it? I don't care. Your, your loyalty is to the grower, and that and that's what we're gonna. That's the kind of brand loyalty I'm talking about. Like people are gonna know if you buy Tall Truck, if you buy, I don't know, fill in fill in the blank of some of these cannabis companies that are gonna be strong brand identities. And I think then that translates into the retail shops going, I want that brand on my shelf because the consumers are asking for it. Um, maybe. Totally. Maybe. If you ask, I mean, if we had Scott Sparks, who's the proprietor of Vermont Hemptarian on this call with us, he would, he, I have no doubt he would agree with you. When he started his company, it was maybe a Vermont brand or two. Um, and obviously he's a Vermont company. So like, you know, that ties in, but right. I, I think what you, to your point is, you know, it was all national kind of faceless, not soulless, but lacking personality brands. Right. And, and eventually now you walk into a store, you know, three years later or whatever. Um, and it's all Vermont companies and every prop, like you can see the, the care and, and like how serious they're taking packaging because they're hiring companies like Canna planners or, or, you know, an agency who can help them put that together. But, but that's, that's exactly right. Like that, that recognition, like all of the tall trucks, the other, you know, they, they've, they've still had to kind of operate, you know, in that gray area. And now it's time for them to really push forward and and do what they can to build that brand. So uh, last, last, last thing I want to get into Andrew, just before we, we wrap up here is, um, just a little bit more about S54. So like we've talked kind of about most of the specifics, some of the, the costs associated to licenses. And, and you know what, um, we're doing a lot of initial client meetings and, and I know what a lot, the question a lot of people have right now is like, what, what do I need to be doing now? Like, okay, fine. I want to be in this. Okay. What, 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 what do I need to be doing now in the end of 2020? Um, because it's a 2022 seems like a long time off, but it's really not. Um, and so there are some concrete things that people can do, like, and it, and it really depends what license type you're looking for. Like if you're looking for a small cultivation license, okay, maybe you can wait till the beginning, till the beginning of next year. The big thing is location. Look, a lot of people are not going to be able to do adult use cannabis in a building where they owe money to a bank, right? That's going to violate the terms of your mortgage. Conducting illegal activity in the property is probably going to violate your mortgage and your bank could call in your mortgage. Like you can't have that and you can't have your property foreclosed on. So where are you going to find a property that you own outright or a property that you can purchase with money that didn't come from a bank loan? So if you got an answer to that, then you're in good shape. But if you don't have an answer to that, you need to right now figure out where am I going to do this? That problem is compounded for retail because retail has this opt-in opt-out provision. And, and we didn't talk about that, another political football, but where we come out is every town in Vermont right now is opted out. There's not one town where it's legal to do cannabis in Vermont retail. In order for that to happen, the town needs to opt in. And that can, the towns can opt in at town meeting day, which is March 2nd next year, or they can convene a special meeting about cannabis. So we want everybody who wants to do retail cannabis to have this issue in their, on their town agenda for town meeting day next March so that you can know, because you have to know this now in March, if you're going to be able to raise money, purchase property, get your retail location in position for licensing in 2022. 
So that means going to select word, like we're immediately, especially for retail, you are immediately on a super local level of politics. And you got to get to your town select board meeting. You got to raise your hand and ask them to put cannabis opt in onto town meeting day agenda. And, and call, call our office. We can run through. We've got a letter that you can send to the town. It's a template. We can work it, work it through with you how to do this. Um, but that has to happen. And that's like, we'll have, we'll have a link in the description below. I finally, now that I have a, a thing on YouTube, I can finally do that link in description below. <laughs> um, so, and it, you know, if the town council won't put it on the agenda, there's ways to, to force them to by gathering signatures in your town. But, but you, this means identifying your town and identifying and, and getting it on the town meeting day agenda. And, and, you know, what we, what we are saying is to go above and beyond that. Boy, if you want to do retail, this is you're really in local politics even more than that because yeah you need the town to opt in sure but you need the town to love you you need yep. the town to want your project you need the town to be your advocate when you go to the state for the license you need to have the town uh, by your side and by, by and by that i mean a letter from the town in your in your packet this circles back to entrepreneurialism where we started well what can you be doing now look the application, we don't have the application. We don't know what goes into the application, but I can look. I've, I've done applications in other states, and I have some idea. Um, and that application is going to require the same documents that's going to go into your pitch deck for finding partners or for raising money. And so there's three questions, you know, that, that either the state, the state will want to know, and your investors are going to want to know, or your partners are going to want to know, or the, the guy selling you or le leasing you the real estate is going to want to know. They're going to want to know what you're doing. So where's your business plan? Right. You know, how much you're going to cultivate, how much you're going to sell it for, how much do the lights cost, how much does the fertilizer cost, how much cash are you going to generate, how many people are you going to employ? They want to see your what you're going to do in detail, in, in numbers. Some of it you're going to have to work. And again, we can, have, we can work with you to come up with this stuff if you need help. They're going to want to know who, because like you can't do this by yourself. And especially retail. And so who's helping you? Like, who's your team? Who's in charge of security? Who's in charge of inventory? Who's going to manage the store when it, through all the hours that it's open, et cetera, et cetera. So who's your team? And, and so you can, you can get assemble that now if you don't have, even on paper, you just with handshake deals. Like, would you be on my team if I get a license? Yeah. But so who is going to do this with you? And the last thing, and probably the most important thing, where? Where are you going to do this? And when I and I don't mean, I mean yes, which town in Vermont because it's so important, especially for retail. But I mean which building, okay? Because specifically, yeah, because the towns are going to be able to create cannabis control zones, and so the town, if they want, can say no, it can only be right there. And so you need the town to be saying yes, we want this guy to do retail or, or woman to do retail cannabis in this building. It's perfect. It's not going to ruin the town square. It doesn't ruin the look of the town. We, he's going to, we like what the plans for his remodel of the building. It's going to have lighting and parking, et cetera. You need that buy-in from the town. And that starts now. I mean, it is not, it's not too soon right now. And that means maybe going to a select board, grab the, grab the select board member after the meeting and say, hey, what do you think about retail cannabis in, in my town? And, and what do you think about the old gas station down by wherever. What do you think if it was retail cannabis in there? And boy, that's not near a school. And, you know, we also love uh, 
biz, you know, and, and you mentioned um, Scott Sparks. Boy, we love a we love a hemp business that's going to try to turn into a, 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 a retail location because the community. I mean, that's that's a lot of that, that was a part of their original business plan. Oh, what, what a great introduction to the community to be like, well, we're not afraid of hemp. That store is great, the hemp curian. We buy CBD. It's not no one's. It's not causing any problem. It's not causing any robberies. And and so hemp and and, and CBD can be a great way to get your foot in the door and introduce. It's a non-threatening introduction to cannabis for people that are have never seen it before. And so we love that. But even you know, so if you're you know what what I think would be perfect right now if I was if I was starting one of these reads if I wanted to do retail cannabis in Vermont. If you could lease a building with an option to purchase for 12 months while you wait for the rules, that's that would be about perfect, right? And then you know the rules, you know your town is opted in by then, you know the building is going to fit in terms of the require the physical requirements for the building, and you're sitting on an option to purchase that building. Perfect. Meanwhile, in the 12 months, why not do a, a mini hemp curing? Why not? Why not try to sell some some CBD, some great Vermont CBD products in there? Again, you if you want wholesale CBD products, give me a call. I can tell you where to get them. I will can too. <laughs> so, uh, if you got to sit on a storefront while you're waiting to see if it's going to be perfect for adult use retail, why not sell some CBD and see how the community, you know, again get your foot in the door and introduce the. the the downtown community to, to cannabis and join the better business bureau and the chamber of commerce. And, and these people are going to be like cannabis, what, you know, so totally, you know, this is what, this is what people can do now. If they're really serious a lot of retail, because retail, there's going to be a limited number of places where this can happen. Um, and maybe not limited even by the cannabis control board, but limited by just what I'm talking about. What town is going to say yes. And where does it make sense? And, where do the tourists come and where do the tourists go? And I want to be near a ski area. So pull out a map and have a look and then get to work on that town. That's what needs to happen. 100%. Yeah. And I think just to, just to pull it, you know, a little broader and, and pull it out, out of Vermont, that point you make about kind of the, the pivot and, you know, those, those he existing hemp companies who um, for sure are considering, you know, the future and do they introduce a THC line? Does that CBD store, pivot for to be a dispensary and, and the answer is mostly of course that's what they want to do so for anybody who's watching this in a state that isn't legal yet uh you, you know the farm bill is is still enacted so uh cbd is a good gateway into this thing in, in exactly the way you're talking about this isn't harmless like so i think one thing just to just to bring it all full circle like a, a, a thing that you and I, our businesses share commonly is, is our, is our strive for normalization. You know, you do it through the law and trying to, uh, you know, help people, um, uh, have an understanding of how to do this correctly without, without breaking the law and stepping on toes. And I do it through, um, making things look cool and, and, and making them marketable and all of these things, but all, all, you know, whatever we're doing, it's to normalize and, and, and push this industry forward in whatever little way we can as individual people. So like anybody outside of Vermont, outside of a legal state, um, CBD is, a, is an, a, has been an amazing um, sort of experiment 
specifically in the state of Vermont. Like, I, and and having clients all over the country, lots of hemp uh, farmers and, and brands. Like, it Vermont is a really interesting test. Like, it's its own. I mean, in so many ways, right? It's its own place. But like the way that in which the uh, CBD industry grew and kind of softened, I think a lot of um, you know, the politics that was to come with S54, with, with everything, um, even nationally, like all these states that are, that are pushing, you know, that have just approved recreational sales. A lot of them have softened the blow through medical and through, um, you know, a, a robust CBD industry. So that's also a good place to start. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Vermont is, is still the best place in the country to grow hemp and CBD in terms of the support from our agency of agriculture. Um, and, you know, real demand for Vermont. Boy, who would have thought you'd see smokable flour, you know, being sold in Oregon that's grown in Vermont. Like, wow. Right. Uh, because they're all growing biomass, you know, and we're growing beautiful flour that looks like the real thing. So, um, yeah, totally. You know, they love the Vermont, they love the Vermont smokable flower out there. The whole smokable flower industry has been a big, big surprise to me how successful it's been. But, you know, it's, it's been great for Vermont growers, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, but yeah, just just like you say, it's a normalization. And so, you know, if you're thinking it, if you're serious about uh, getting an adult use license, it's not too soon to form an, an, uh, your company too. like you should be forming an LLC now. Look, it looks nice on the application, again, or in the pitch deck to say, I'm a cannabis company that formed in 2020. You're going to be doing this application in 2022. You've got a, a company that's been in business for a couple of years that has a track record of maybe selling a little bit of CBD. That's very helpful yep. than saying, hey, I don't even have a company or I have a company we formed last week just to do this. No, we ha I have a company that's been open now, you know, open in 2020 that has identified a storefront. So, you know. Uh, and I don't want people to feel like it's it's already too late. I'm I'm starting to hear that, like, oh God, everybody. There's other people who are so far ahead. No, that's there's plenty capitalism. This will forever evolve for sure. The ground floor still. You are still on the ground floor of the Vermont cannabis industry. And yes, there's people who've been planning and thinking, but it's not too late for you if you are just starting to think. And it is a great time actually to be brainstorming and figuring out where you fit in the Vermont cannabis industry, because there's a place for you if you want, if you want it. And, you know, Will and, and Tim and I are here to help you. Totally. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for walking through S54 and all the numerous other things that we touched on, all the, uh, the desperate paths we, we found our way uh, walking down. Um, I appreciate you so much for, for again, taking time out of your day to, uh, to join me and talk about this. Andrew Subin, he's an attorney with Vermont Cannabis Solutions, along with his partner, Tim Fair. Uh, Andrew, tell them where they can find you. Uh, yeah, you can find us uh, online, vermontcannabissolutions.com. Uh, you can email me, Andrew, at Vermont Cannabis Solutions. Uh, or you can always call our, our phone number is 802-540-9333. That's 540-WEED. Our office manager's name is Catherine. She's great. And we'd love to see you. If you're in Burlington, stop in and say hi. Um, and uh, yeah, let us know if there's anything we can do to help you get your cannabis business started. Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Will.